You're listening to the Insatiable Woman podcast with Evelyn Hale and Caitlin Newton. The Insatiable Woman is the podcast for the woman who desires more in life. We're here to give you tips for walking the path to feeling worthy, unapologetically claiming the authenticity, pleasure, and joy that your soul desires. Welcome, sister. All right, folks, welcome to another episode of the Insatiable Woman podcast. I'm here with my gal pal, Caitlin. How you doing, Caitlin? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Just chilling on a Wednesday night. So no, it's not Wednesday. It's Thursday. <laughs> Doesn't matter because this is going to air on a Tuesday. So whatever day you guys are listening to this, welcome here. And our topic today is why don't men trust women? So this is a juicy one. Um, and what I wanted to, wanted to do to dive in was to just talk about uh, a client question that comes up for me a lot because I work in the area of feminine and masculine and I work with women who are trying to heal their masculine wounds and become more expressive. And when I talk to women about becoming more expressive, they will come up with all these objections, all these stories about why they can't because their partner won't let them quote unquote, or their partner will um, shut them down or they will negate them or they will invalidate them. So um, one of the clients I talked to recently is wanting to get into her more into her feminine. And she has a partner who started off very masculine. So she said that when they started dating, they were, uh, in a dynamic where he was leading her. And she says that at the time she was in a, a much more like relaxed state in her life. She was more go with the flow. She didn't have a lot of stresses going on in her life at that time. And so he had a, a space to lead her. And then as they, as the relationship progressed over time, she found herself in some stressful situations and she dropped back into her masculine or swung more into her masculine. And then he became more feminine. And now they find themselves, I think it's been about a year and a half. They find themselves in a dynamic where she's primarily in her masculine and he's primarily in his feminine. And she finds that very unsatisfying because she's telling him how she wants to be talked to and how she wants to be treated and how she wants to be touched even. And, um, when I asked her about like, is that satisfying for you? She was, she said, no, like, I want him to know how to do those things. I don't want to have to tell him how to do those things. And basically what I said to her was you, uh, are, 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 I asked her, like, are you telling him how to do those things because you don't trust him to do those, to do them right. And she said, yeah, that's exactly it. I don't trust him to do them right. So um, one of the other things she said was that he hates the feminine. And I had to, I had to stop her and say, I don't know if that's true. I think that might be a story that you're telling because uh, you might actually hate the feminine. Like you inside yourself might so much hate the feminine essence um, or have like some deep seated issues with the feminine that you're projecting that onto him because based on what she had told me, he loves and and worships the feminine. He very much wants her back in her feminine. And they've had conversations about that. That's where I find a lot of my clients is that the woman who wants to be in her feminine will say, I can't be in my feminine because my male partner won't let me because he is going to reject me. He's going to shut me down because he always does that. And I can, and then they reference all these examples, right? Um, so 
I wanted to kind of start with that as an example and then break down um, the reality of what men, how men actually do think about the feminine and like the, the mistakes that we make when we think about the feminine, like what actually is the feminine and then what, what is, what is it that's getting shut down by men or by women? What is, what is it that men are shutting down in women? Is it the feminine or is it something else? Um, cause I think that within each example that I've heard from the women that I've worked with, they, um, they sound that the examples sound to me like they are actually more in their masculine. Like there's an emotion that's welling up and there there's resentment and there's frustration and there's anger. And then like a volcano, it erupts at their partner. So it's directed at their partner in a very forceful way, which is masculine. So I'm going to stop there, Caitlin, and just see how you want to respond to that. (laughs) Yeah, no, I think that's a big problem. And I've definitely um, identified with being that version as well. And I think a lot of it, sometimes, you know, that hating your own feminine comes from a societal lens of what it means to be a woman Um, according to like modern society versus what it is to actually be a feminine essence being. So I know one of the practices I did on the very beginning of this journey was like, write a list of like what it meant to be a woman to me, like what it meant in society today to, to be a woman. And, you know, a lot of, in the words used to describe women um, and writing out that list and then looking at the list of like what it actually meant to me versus what it, is on an energetic level that really gave me some clarification first, like to separate what is this programmed definition of women or the feminine versus what are the energetics? And they're so different. So getting into that, what were your program definitions of women? Do you remember? Um, emotional, nagging, um, manipulative. A lot of it was actually underdeveloped or wounded shadow feminine characteristics, but that was like what I thought, like, that was what I was programmed to think like the peak was, um, you know, weaker was on there. Um, yeah, just words like that. A lot of them that I know now as underdeveloped or wounded. Yeah. I've heard that too. And I felt that for myself. And I think the, primary cultural narrative. I mean, there are lots of, I think based on your family of origin and your culture and your upbringing, you might feel a little bit differently about women, but I think in general, the cultural narrative around women is that we're, um, unpredictable, we're emotional and we're loud, you know, we're like loud and energetically and we were explosive. And because of that narrative, um, partly because of that narrative, we are labeled as untrustworthy by men and also by women. And, um, I want to, I want to dive into that because it's not, it's not for those reasons though. Like we're labeled as untrustworthy and unpredictable, um, chaotic, loud, emotional, but that's not the reason that we're really untrustworthy. The reason that we're really untrustworthy is because we withhold And I have worked with, um, women who have ranged from more of the explosive side of things where they have an emotion, they explode it. And then I've worked with women who, um, 
they have a, a feeling and then they go immediately into quarantine. I call it like emotional quarantine. The emotion comes up and they like lock it in a room and then they, and they intellectualize it. So in either case, even the women that I work with that, that are more on the like Mount Vesuvius side of things, they, they erupt, they still have a holding place where they take the emotion. They it's a, usually it's a shorter period of time that they process it, but they take it into this, um, this holding place. And then they use their mind to say, is this valid or is it not valid? And if it passes the, the validity test of whatever the mind, you know, usually the mind is asking, uh, am I justified in being mad about this really is what it, the question that comes up. Am I justified in being mad or is this, is this feeling from my own wounding? Is this a wounded feeling or am I justified? And so if it gets, if it passes the validity test, then that type of woman will like lash out immediately and be like, it's all your fault. How did, why did you do this? Blah, blah, blah. Like anger. Um, whereas the other woman type of woman, will chew on it more because she doesn't feel safe in expressing that anger. So she'll chew on it and she'll, maybe she'll suppress it and keep it, you know, inside of her. And then maybe she'll bring it up in like a passive way, or maybe she'll say, I want to talk about this. And then she'll talk it out. And this, the anger and the frustration is still going to be there. The hurt is still going to be there. Um, versus, being in that moment, a woman who is not intellectualizing her feelings, not taking her feelings away to process and, and determine are these valid or not, or are they acceptable or not? A woman who is fully integrated and just expresses and embodies her feelings, not as a punishment, not as a, um, not as a way to hurt, but just as an expression, that is ultimately the most trustworthy version of feminine because you always know exactly where you stand. Even in that example of the woman who's still, who's got a shorter period of time, she's still with, she's still withholding her feelings because she's not a hundred percent in trust with herself about those emotions. Does that make sense? Oh my gosh. Absolutely. And that's, I, that line that you said about, you always know where you stand. That's so true because if an embodied feminine being who is able to express their feelings is, you know, will show you, I am mad. I am not happy with this. I am very happy with this. You know, they're, they're telling you as they're going with like through body language, you know, so you don't have to guess. It's not like, Ooh, is she, she didn't say anything this morning. Is she mad? Like, it's not this guessing game for the masculine. They know because you're telling them. So it, it's so much better. And they, the masculine appreciates that level of clarity right? and like, it's a gift to them so that they know like, okay, what am I dealing with here? And how do I move forward? How do I lead this expression? Right. They can't lead the expression if they have no idea what the expression is. All right, guys, we're interrupting this episode to let you know about our free relationship coaching sessions. That's right. Each month we're giving away one free relationship coaching session to a listener of this podcast. On this coaching session, we're going to dive deep into the patterns that exist within your relationship and give you tips on how to drop deeper into your femininity, release the toxic masculinity so that you can have a healthier relationship with more polarity. For a chance to win, simply review the podcast on Apple Podcasts, screenshot your review, and email it to us at support 
at evelynhale.com or DM it to us on Instagram. And the links for Caitlin and my Instagram accounts are in the show notes. Now back to this episode. Yes. Yeah. But at the same time, there's like this pathway that women have to walk that is a little bit um, tricky and isolating because as you decide, as you commit to yourself and you say, okay, I'm going to reveal myself at all times. Um, it's a very delicate balance between, uh, expecting your partner to be able to hold all of you, all of your expressions of, especially in anger, um, and not falling back into the old pattern of either uh, getting that validity, that mental validity, which then you'll go back and you'll lash out or, or withholding because the minute, this is what I see. I see women, I see women who want to practice with this. And then the minute that they decide to express themselves, if their partner demonstrates any hesitation on his side of things, if he goes back into a pattern of like trying to shut her down, talk her out of her feelings, get defensive, tell her why she shouldn't be upset. That's a lot of times what men say, you sh- you don't, you don't need to be upset. Why are you getting upset over this? This doesn't make any sense. Um, the minute that that happens, she'll go back into the old narrative again of, Oh, look, look, this is what always happens. Every time I try to express myself, this is what's going to happen. And that, what I say to women is that that practice is something you have to be ultimately devoted to for yourself not for him, not for an outcome from him, because he could get there. He could and, and may very well get there to a point where he can hold your, hold you in your anger, but he may not. And he most likely won't do it in the beginning because he hasn't been trained. You haven't even been trained in how to hold all of you. How can you expect him to hold you the minute that you choose to start to express yourself? Yeah. And it's a practice for both. And that piece about devotion to yourself and your truest expression and your truth, that's ultimately what this is about. It's not devotion to your partner. That's not why we do this, although it does serve them as well. It is devotion to you and your fullest expression, you know, to be who you came here to be and to experience life as this person you came here to be. Um, and that's always what I have to remind myself of is that ultimately my highest truth is the highest truth I can participate in without having to try and uh, filter myself through what I think is acceptable. Um, and this is something you always tie things back to that I always think of, but it's like mother nature. Um, you know, mother nature isn't like, should I do this tornado? Like, is this a valid response? Like, are these fires overkill? You know, it's just something that, that happens. It's just the natural response to something in the planet, whether it's, I don't know, wind patterns or global warming. It's not something that she like muddles over and it's like, I wonder if I should do this. Are they going to be mad? You know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think where a lot of, where I I'd say a hundred percent of women get hung up and confused is, is this my trauma or is this the truth? And when you're trying to discern, is this my trauma or is this the truth? You have to be able to hear yourself, like hear your, your intuition and it's coming from your body. And it's something that is, it's not like a light switch that goes on and off. It's literally like, um, as though you're, you're like, you're letting your ears 
and your senses become resensitized to something that has lost the uh, ability to sense. So it's like listening for like a far off voice or noise in the distance, or like, let's say you're listening to an orchestra and you're trying to pick out the triangle. <laughs> I don't know if they have triangles. Oh, Duchess is, wants to come in, join us on the podcast. <laughs> um, but yeah, when you, when you start this work, you have to become like very micro attuned to yourself in a way that you haven't been before. And it is a tricky process of, of kind of fumbling and, and clumsily expressing yourself and then going, Oh, okay. I think that was actually, that was my inner child. She just erupted it. Maybe that wasn't the true most core essence of me, but still you have to be committed to still showing up and doing the expression, even when it is your wounds showing up, you know? And even though it is wounding showing up, that is still a truth to you. You know, that wounding still does exist within you. It, it may not be the pretty highest self we necessarily want it to be that we envision, but the wounding that comes up or the trigger that comes up is still the truth of you and the truth of your experience. So, you know, getting caught up in like, well, is this a wound or is this like my true feeling? Like, well, your wound is your truth right now until you work through that. So that might be part of it too. Yep. Yeah. But women are often worried that their partner is going to call them out or something and say, you're only acting this way because you, uh, you know, this is your pattern. Like this is your trauma response pattern. You always, you know, you always do this, that type of thing. Um, so then they're reluctant because there's, they're looking for like perfection, you know, like a perfect healed and whole person from which I can like authentically express my feminine. And there's not going to be any messiness or, or, wondering and they're expecting this kind of certainty like a certainty of like a lightning bolt just hit me and um actually i'm thinking of another client um who at one point she had gotten like a download you know like an intuitive download and it was a really strong one and she just like let it excuse me she like let it burst out of her and she was speaking it out loud to her partner and she had, she really felt like she had this mystical experience and she was talking to her partner about this experience. And he was standing there like, okay, like I wasn't there. I I don't know what you're talking about. Like he wasn't invalidating her. He wasn't making her sound crazy. He just was simply standing in stillness and like, you know, masculine consciousness. And he wasn't jumping into it with her. And she was she was hurt by that because she was expecting him to come into it with her. Like, Oh my God, mystical experience. Tell me all about it. Like, I want to know. And I want to, I want to feel it with you. But, um, there are moments like that where you'll be really, really heightened and you'll feel like this is my truth. And I'm so strong in my truth. And, and still your partner isn't going to necessarily, um, I don't want to say believe you, but like be moved by it. That's so true. And if I didn't know any better, I would think you were talking about me in that because I've been so (laughs) guilty of that. I have a quote unquote client. Yeah. (laughs) She's on this podcast. Um, I've definitely done that like so many times, like had some crazy meditation experience or like feeling a wave of energy and then like share it and have my partner be like, oh, cool. That's neat. And then I'm like, I would be like, oh my God he doesn't get me at all. And like, but in that moment, it was me needing 
him to validate that I had that experience or see me as this like powerful mystical goddess. Whereas, you know, I was outsourcing being seen to him rather than seeing myself in it and owning, seeing myself in it and sharing it confidently. And that's the kind of the biggest difference, at least the shift in that regard that I've made is now, if I share that with a partner, I am like confident in it myself. Like I see myself in that experience. I honor it. I trust it. And I'm like, that is the truth. And like his response, isn't going to change that from me anymore. Mm, Yeah. And that ties back into the trustworthiness piece again, as far as why men don't trust women. Part of it is that when you are expecting him to dive into it with you, into your feminine with you, and he doesn't, and then you feel hurt by it. What did, what's that message? What's the message you're sending to him that he's not enough in his masculine, that he needs to be a feminine being. So the thing you want, which is more masculine, a more masculine, more conscious partner, you're eroding that. That's so true because it is more of like the feminine that would jump into that. Like I would get a much stronger response if I were to have sent that to you instead, you know, and then we would talk about it for like 20 minutes and that is what you're asking them. And then it's almost like they feel judged for not responding the way you wanted. They feel like they have to alter their responses to appease you. And then that is where that trustworthiness is questioned. Yeah. Um, another example that I wanted to share from a conversation I had recently was how a woman, um, she was talking about her mother and she said that her mother was so unpredictable. She would go from like being nice and sweet and like taking care of the kids needs and everything to the next minute, like physically abusing them, like just being all the flavors of feminine, nice, sweet to horribly abusive, monstrous, rageful, everything. And now I know I can imagine that as a child, that, that is doing something to your nervous system and you're associating the feminine with, with these behaviors of unpredictability that feels very, very unsafe. So for anyone, male, female, masculine, feminine, that, that, uh, embodiment of feminine is, is unsafe. It is. I mean, I don't want to say that it's not, it is unsafe, but I, I challenged her to say, what is safe about the unpredictability of the feminine? So what is safe about it? And what we came up with, uh, what she came up with, this was actually really, um, kind of moving and touching was that the unpredictability to her was safe because it can't be tracked. So like in the wild, if the feminine is, is unpredictable, then she's going to go in like zigzags. She's going to go in all different directions. She's going to be up. She's going to be down. Um, she's going to be appearing and then she's going to be disappearing. So she can't be tracked, right? Like, so like an animal that can't be tracked. And that's so sad in a way, because that reflects her childhood and how unsafe it was for her that she feels like she needs to hide and run and, and be safe. But I think there's a part of all of us feminine essence beings that on some level, let's say it's ancestral, um, that we have been persecuted, you know, we have been weaker, we have been hunted. Let's even just boil it down to like witch hunts, right? We have had times in history where we have been persecuted and that doesn't feel safe. So there is a strange kind of paradoxical safety in being unpredictable. And then the other thing that she came up with was 
um, or that we came up to, well, cup, ugh, that we came up with together was that um, being unpredictable is safe because it's the truth. And that is, those two things don't really sound like they go together, but if you go back to the weather, the weather is unpredictable, but it's also very true. Like if you go outside and it's raining, it's just true that it's raining. You can't argue that it's raining, it's raining. And um, same thing with any type of weather, you go outside, you just know the weather, the weather is true. The same thing with the, tr the purest form of the feminine, the feminine is true, she's truth. And so although she is unpredictable, though you could say she changes a lot, you could also argue that about truth. Oh, truth changes a lot. And then there might be people out there who would argue, well, truth shouldn't change a lot, but those are the same types of people that aren't comfortable with change. They're not comfortable with things actually evolving and changing. And I love that feminine as the truth, just to tie into like kind of a larger purpose of that. When you view the feminine as the truth or the, the like measuring device of truth in society, it's like the feminine's job to call out the not truth and show up in truth, especially in a time where there's so many different sources about so many different things. And that's where like the feminine stands in that truth. And that is like the duty to society, not just like ourselves and the relationship. Yep. Absolutely. So what I see happening with a lot of male female dynamics is this vicious cycle of both men and women feeling that women, women are unpredictable. We're emotional. We're, I think we, on a subconscious level, we think we're not trustworthy. Even women, women don't feel they're trustworthy because they, um, question their intuition constantly. They, they constantly are asking, they're asking themselves, is this valid or is this not valid? Someone who is in, someone who is in deep self-trust does not ask that question. Someone who is in deep sovereignty and, and knowing of their own inner truth does not ask that question. So we are in constant distrust of our feminine oracle. And so women, as a consequence of that, women don't reveal themselves. So we don't reveal our truth. And then you expect your partner to give you the invitation to reveal your truth. And so you withhold it. So something happens, your partner upsets you, you stew on it and you go and, you know, you could either go to the extreme version of like extreme withholding, cold shoulder avoidance, all of that, or you might even do it in a micro way of just, um, just shoving it down, you know, shoving it down a little bit, not, not expressing, being a little bit more quiet, being a little bit more distant, but the masculine is very, very attuned. The masculine in all of us is very, very attuned to the feminine. Um, and so he's going to pick up on those micro things, whether he says it to you or not, he will pick up on those things and he will start to mistrust you because you are going cold. You are becoming distant. Um, you might not even realize it's happening until later or, or not at all. You might not even notice that that's happening, but he will slowly start to distance himself from you because you're not trustworthy because he's associating now that love the love that I used to get from my partner has been taken away. She's gone cold. And this is associated with whatever the event was, whatever the event was that happened that made you go quiet and go cold and get into your head and go into analysis mode. He's going to associate your going cold and being distant from him with him not receiving affection and approval and respect and trust from you because you're not trusting him with your emotions. 
Oh, you worded that so well. It's so true. That's exactly what it is. And it, and to you, you know, the feminine being, it may seem safest to do that because like, oh, he cannot handle this level of irritated I am right now, or I'm going to, if I'm upset with him, he's not going to love me anymore or whatever story that we tell ourselves about why this strong emotion we're feeling isn't valid or lovable. So to us intellectualizing it, we're like, it's not safe to feel this. He won't love this. He can't love this. And that, that goes back to, you know, perhaps in childhood, you know, if you grew up in a household where strong emotions weren't welcome, like, why are you mad? Don't be mad. Like, don't be angry. Or why are you crying? You're always crying. You know, like if you ever grew up in that kind of setting, then it feels like, oh, okay. uh, People don't love me when I'm angry or sad. Uh, Then I just won't be angry or sad. So it's almost like, a reclamation of your authentic emotions too. And the relationship is a perfect um, place to practice that. It's a perfect container. It's a triggering container. I think of it as being like a really uh, triggering. I mean, I don't want to use the word war because it's not a war zone, but like, it's a very activating container to be able to do this work. It's like, um, trying to, it's like, it's like what Caitlin is experiencing right now, which is she's doing this podcast and Duchess is her dog. Duchess is like constantly coming into the, the, the frame. And it's like, when you're trying to do yoga and your pets are climbing all climbing all over you, right. It makes it more challenging to do the practice. Uh, it is. And, you know, I'm in such an interesting position because I spent like, I don't know, the past like seven months, single and kind of doing this work, like not really dating, like, gosh, I don't think dating at all. And so kind of just doing this work on my own and like exploring more on my own and then getting into like dating again, I'm constantly triggered (laughs) because it's just, it's a constant mirror and there's just so, it's just so much more intense. And I, I do feel like I've done a lot of work in the past several months on my own and now, you know, entering into the dating realm again, I'm like, holy crap, it's happening so much faster and so much more intense. And it's definitely just such a good container to show up for. And it's like, you know, it's a, it's a labor of love, you know, would you advise women who are single, who are listening to this right now to continue to do their work alone and keep doing inner work alone? Or would you encourage them to just go and be in partnership and do their work in partnership? I think it varies because I am someone who hasn't been single for an extended period of time more than maybe once in my life. So this is only the second time I've been single for that long. So for me, it was expansive to kind of reconnect to Caitlin and like the truth of her. Um, And then like almost like reclaim a lot of parts of myself I had like left in other people's energy. Um, so bringing that all back to myself, rediscovering certain parts of me coming back and then bringing my full self into a partnership. So for me, the most expansive thing to do was spend time alone. Um, I think that it really, it depends person by person. If someone doesn't have that same dating history and they typically spend more time alone, then I definitely think dating like partnership is the way to go. Um, but for me, that was like what I needed. And I felt it when it was done. Mm -hmm. Like when that chapter was over, I felt it was over and I was like, okay, I'm ready to do this. All of me is here. 
Mm. I got her back. (laughs) Yeah. I love that. That's so vivid. And like, I like the imagery there. Um, so for the listeners who are wondering where did these patterns come from? When we think of our patterns of withholding and hiding and suppressing our feelings, we weren't born that way. So children are innately expressive. When you think of a baby, a baby gets its needs met by crying like a lot. (laughs) I'm a mom. So if you're a mom, you know what I'm talking about, but babies are constantly crying to get their needs met and they have no shame. There's no, uh, part of them that is like, Oh, am I crying too loud? Am I crying too much? Maybe I shouldn't be crying right now because maybe I'm just like a drain on my parents, right? They just, they just express, they just emote. And that is, that is the feminine, whether you're a baby boy or a baby girl, um, you are in the feminine. That's just the feminine. So it it's instilled in us usually before the age of like five to seven that we are too much. And this usually happens by a parent or a caregiver who is overwhelmed, to be honest, like it's not, a, it's not from abuse. I mean, sometimes there is abuse, but it's just literally from, from parents who are overwhelmed and they're saying, stop crying, like, please, you know, it's like a natural response to the, the incessant needs of a child. Uh, any normal, rational, sane person will eventually say enough, please stop. And so you can't be like, you cannot accept all of your child's incessant needs. And so there will be a a natural consequence of them learning that love or my needs are not going to be met all the time. And so, uh, the natural, the way the brain processes that is to say, okay, if I cry too much, then I won't get love. Like there's an acceptable amount. So like children start to titrate and realize exactly how to get love. And they'll start to turn off the emotions. So one of the questions I have for the listeners is think back to your early days of as, as children, if you can, or just try to imagine what that might've been like based on what your parents have told you or your caregivers or people in your life and, and ask yourself who, which of your caregivers were overwhelmed and that at that time in their lives, how old were my caregivers? Were they young parents? Um, were they working multiple jobs? And how might that parent have reacted to you as a child with a lot of needs? And what kinds of phrases did they say to you? And how did you, you know, how did your nervous system and your brain and your heart feel about those things? And realize that those things were not hopefully uh, intentionally hurtful but they were just sort of natural reactions as a parent and see if you can start to disconnect the, the programming that, that you developed at that age from how you are behaving now as an adult. That's a really good line of questioning. There's so much in that on both, both parts of mother, father, maybe only one was present there's so many little phrases, even in like, if you could think back to kindergarten or early school years, you know, were you ever, was it hard to sit down, sit still in class? Were you ever really loud in class and punished for being really loud? You know, it happens early. Yeah. We're constantly told we're too loud, too much, too 
expressive, whatever. It's like there, we don't even need to give you examples because I'm sure you have a million of your own, but it's important to just start to go back to the origin for you. Go back to the origin of which of my parents were both of my parents that way, which of them, how were each of them different? Um, and then uh, start to just start to decipher, like what's my story versus what's their story. If their story is I, the mother can't express my emotions. Are you carrying that same story? And is that the truth? And if you're carrying your father's story, maybe your father's story is women aren't trustworthy. Is that the truth? See what stories are yours and what, what stories you've inherited and what you're carrying. So, um, I want to talk about why you should reveal your emotions. Number one is to be trustworthy. Of course, not only trustworthy to your partner, but trustworthy to yourself. And the, you build trust with yourself by speaking the truth. You build trust by, um, living, like living your truth, not just speaking it, but living it. So making those decisions that are painful when you know that the relationship is over and yet you stay out of a sense of comfort and a sense of obligation or guilt or whatever fear, um, lack of security. And yet you stay, you are eroding your self-trust because you know that that still small voice inside of you is, has been shouting at you to go. So that's, that's first and foremost, why you should reveal your emotions to yourself, for yourself, um, and to your partner, because you're developing self-trust. Um, and then secondarily to instill trust in your partner of you. And another reason is, um, to know yourself because if you're disconnected from your emotions, if you're constantly in your head, you don't actually know what you like. You don't actually know where you want to go in life because you're so in, you're, you're in that anxiety, that paralysis, what do they call it? analysis paralysis? You're in that analysis paralysis mode of like, I could do this or this. And I don't know, like pro and cons list, like, which, what should I do? Um, but the truth is living inside of you. The truth is just has not been accessed by you because you're not actually feeling your feelings. And when you start to feel your feelings, your feelings become your compass because you'll start to see, oh, I like this. Okay. I don't know how I, I don't know which way I want to go, but when I drop into my body and I, I actually feel into a moment or I feel into, I go to do this activity and I feel the feelings of like maybe pain or doubt or, um, some emotion will come up and it will guide you away from that thing. Or you'll feel a feeling of expansiveness and warmth um, and openness with this other thing. If you're actually feeling those feelings, then you can be, you can guide yourself and you can start to know yourself. But most women are not living in their emotions. They're, they're intellectualizing them. They're, they're processing them with their mind and they're filtering them. And they're saying, these ones are valid. These ones are not valid. I'm going to keep the ones that I think are valid and I'm going to stuff all the other ones away and I'm going to drink them away or I'm going to do whatever with them. Yes, that's so true. And, you know, there's one thing that I started doing this year that has helped me so much more to get in touch with that. Um, so I, I've always been like a meal prep and a meal planner, uh, just throughout college. It was just easy working full-time and school full-time. So I was really organized. It was a very like mental intellectualized process. And this year I completely stopped 
planning and meal prepping. And now I go to the grocery store and I'm like, what feels good? Like I'm looking around and like, I I've got a good, uh, Rolodex of recipes, you know, in there. So I'm like, what feels good. And like, sometimes it's something really carby. Sometimes it's like, I have just eaten really like fruits and like a yogurt for a week and going through that. I like, I'm like looking at like this sweet potato and I'm like, does mashed sweet potatoes sound really good? And like, if it's a yes, then it's a yes. And I make something around that. And it's same thing. You just kind of buy a variety of foods. And every time you go to eat, you kind of think like, does a banana sound really good? And, you know, kind of go from there because I find that I eat way more weirdly than I was making myself like for dinner the (laughs) other day, I just had a banana and almond butter. And I was like, this is the best dinner ever. Where in the past, my brain is like, that's not dinner. That's not a meal, you know, but that was what my body wanted. And I savored the hell out of that banana and almond butter. Oh, I love that. That's like, that's just intuitive eating, which Mm -hmm. is like a whole field. And you just like captured that (laughs) like three sentences. Yeah. And it's such a good practice to get in the, you know, what feels good in my body right now, just by asking, cause you eat at least three times a day usually. So it's a practice three times a day of what is my body communicating to me right now? What do I actually want? It's a great practice to get in touch with yourself. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess if I had to boil down the reasons why you need to feel your feelings are because you're, you're, or sorry, the reasons you need to reveal your feelings are because they will guide you. Their feelings will guide you. And then you will become more trustworthy for yourself. You'll, you'll build that self-trust and that ability to follow your own guidance and get out of your head. And you'll also hopefully inspire your partner to actually trust you more. I mean, it's not even hopeful. Like if you do it, he will trust you more. Your partner will trust you more. So how do you do this? Um, actually, before we get to the, how I want to touch on one more thing and how, how is it, going back to earlier when we were talking about the withholding and how that's a pattern in a lot of us is that we get upset and we withhold our affection. I mean, I used to do this all the time, like get upset, get silent. Um, I don't, I don't think I was conscious of the fact that I was giving like this quote unquote silent treatment. I wasn't like, I'm going to give you the silent treatment, but that's essentially what I was doing. Essentially I was giving the silent treatment. And how that, how that happened was that I felt like there was something so evident that my partner was not getting that it was like, I was hurt by him not picking up on what I thought was the obvious, you know, the obvious thing was that I could, I'm so upset right now. And like, can't you see my body language? Can't you see the way that I'm showing my face and like, can't you see how wrong, how, how I've been wronged. And that is the, um, that's a very victimy mentality to be in and a very victimy energy. Like it's a very immature little girl, little kid kind of energy. So when you go into that, what ends up, how that affects your partner's nervous system is that they don't know why you're doing it. You, you might think you're broadcasting it. You might think that you, you may have said like one or two things, but you clearly have not expressed it all. Otherwise you wouldn't be in this situation of having to withhold in the first place. So what your nerve, what the partner's nervous system is experiencing is that they have done something so bad that you can't even tell them what it is. And not only that, but now you're going to pull back 
the love that you have, that you supposedly have for them until such a time as they like poof, like it just gets dropped on them like an epiphany, which is not going to happen. So that makes them frustrated and hurt. And like, they can't trust you because then they're going to have to draw it out of you or constantly ask you something wrong. Are you upset? What's going on? Like, why are you upset? And then you, you know, there's that dynamic of you being like, how could you not understand? Or like, why is it that he always has to be the one to ask you, you know? Yeah. And, you know, we, I think we spent most of this time talking about like the anger, the sadness, the disappointment, but I think it's also important to mention that we withhold like strong, positive feelings too. Sometimes like, I know there are times I have restricted myself from expressing that I miss someone or expressing like just how much joy I feel in that present moment or how much I adore something that they just did. Um, because I don't want to seem, cause that opens up for vulnerability, which is another reason that we can withhold is I don't want to open up to like really show my heart in that moment, even when it's pure and full, because that like, you know, we've heard the term giving your power away. That feels like giving your power away. And that essentially puts you in the weaker position. So we also withhold or don't reveal the depth of our love as well as some of the other emotions. Totally. Yeah. Thank you for bringing that up. And that's like, yeah, we, 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 (laughs) we do it for so many reasons. So for whatever reason you're doing it, Um, just think about how that's impacting your partner's nervous system and not only your partner, but just anyone, like you might be doing it with a friend. You might be doing it with family. Think about how switch the roles, reverse roles, put yourself in their shoes and really walk yourself through the whole scenario and ask yourself how it's going to feel in your system. Because we always assume the other person, we always assume everybody in the whole world is doing something to us. We assume they knew that they cut me off and they did it anyway. They knew that they talked down to me and they did it anyway. And no, no, I'm here to tell you, no, 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 stop. It's not always, a, it's, it's not almost, it's almost never intentional. It's that we are so caught up in our own doing and being in our own lens that, um, people just inadvertently get caught in those crosshairs and we, we take it so personally. So you can't expect your partner to read the tea leaves and read your mind and, you know, like literally be a psychic. You have to emote. You have to emote. If you're here, you have to emote. That's the pledge that Caitlin and I, it's a blood oath. Caitlin and I are going to get you all sworn in. And that's the only way to be a part of our girl gang. Yes. Blood oaths or bust. Yep. (laughs) So on that note, um, I'll move on to how, so how to reveal Duchess is going to demonstrate for us. Um, (laughs) no. So if you were taught that your emotions were too much, if you were taught that, or it was modeled to you, then you're going to be heightened to this. I mean, I'm going to go out on a limb and say like anyone listening to this is going to be heightened because you're, if you're a woman, like you've been told that your emotions are too much. So it starts with you. And hopefully by now, if you've been listening to this podcast that you, you know, that Caitlin and I are big believers in you taking responsibility, right? So your partner isn't listening to this and we don't want him to listen to this. Your partner is not, um, 
here. And so for that very reason, you are the practitioner. We are considering you the practitioner, you're the leader, you go first. Um, it's a chicken or egg situation. You just need to be willing to go first. So to do that, to start to express yourself, you have to go into your body and you have to actually discern what the body, how the body wants to express itself. So everybody knows when you cry, tears come out, make a little frowny face, you know, everybody knows how to express sadness, but how does jealousy want to be embodied? How does, um, elatement want to be embodied? How does, um, your like soft, innocent, uh, playful side want to be embodied? There's all these different emotions that you feel and you might not have an emoji for each of those things. Like if you think of it as like an emoji, like we know exactly what emoji to type on the, on the phone, but we don't actually know how to embody those things. So to know how to express yourself, you actually have to go into your body and feel and see what, uh, what feels good. And so for example, if you're trying to express jealousy, um, and you're not really sure, see where in the body does that live? So does it live in your stomach? Does it live in your heart? Does it live in your, in your legs and your arms? Just close your eyes and kind of drop into your body and see where is, where is jealousy right now? Because it'll emotions move and they aren't always in the same place. So if you, if you think, oh, it's going to be in the heart space, just really drop into your body and feel where is it living and then see where does it, how does it want to move? Does it want to get up and shake? Does it want me to, um, cause you're kind of how you, you're going to have to be like the surrogate for the emotion. I, that's how I like to think about these things is you're a surrogate to release it from its prison. The feminine doesn't want to hold on to all these emotions forever and ever. She wants to get them, get them out, process them and get them out onto the next emotion. So you as the surrogate have to be a really good translator for what your body is saying. And so, um, some examples would be, does, does it want you to shake your body, like physically shake? Does it want you to curl into a ball and kind of cry? Does it want you to, um, be on a pillow with your hands or like the other night, I, I really, I was so angry about something that happened. Um, and I needed to get the anger out. And so I have a few different ways to do this, but the way that I decided to do it was I grabbed my, um, my snow brush from my car. Um, it was actually up in my apartment cause it's not winter. So it was in my apartment. So I grabbed my snow brush and it's pretty lightweight and it's not going to really like break anything. So I just took it and I started like beating on my couch with it. And I was like, just like raging and like breathing really heavy. And I was just like, Rah! you know, and until the anger was moved. And then I felt the next emotion, which was sadness. And that's usually how it goes. It's like anger, then sadness, then you can kind of feel clear and, um, and move on from that. So once I got through the anger, then the tears came and that's when I laid down and I just kind of held myself. So that's one way you can express. And these are ways that you would do it with yourself. So I want to be clear not to do this with your partner, not to necessarily go and show him, I'm going to show you how mad I am. And I'm going to show you by taking a snow brush and beating the hell out of the couch with it. This is more of a personal practice to, to move your emotions. Um, but then when it comes to like a momentary thing, when you're with your partner and, and they do something that upsets you, drop your shoulders back, open your chest and kind of open your eyes and look at him 
and just reveal without words, just reveal. So dropping your shoulders, opening your eyes, looking at him in the eyes and just being with you, be, be with you and your feelings and let him witness you being with your feelings. And also if you are practicing alone, do that in the mirror, you know, feel free to witness yourself and your feelings too, because sometimes like, you know, before this, I can't say I knew what it looked like when I was rip shit pissed because I didn't want to see myself in that way because I thought it was unlovable, but no, like witness yourself in that too. It's not entirely on them to witness you. It is on us to share with them, but it is on you to witness you. So that's also a way to practice too, before, if you're not quite comfortable, you know, you've never done it before. And you're like, all right, I've been livid about this for three weeks. I'm going to go show him. If you want to practice it with you first, totally do that. Whatever makes you feel more comfortable. Yeah. Caitlin, what is rip shit? (laughs) (laughs) I think it's something my mom says. Is that that a Connecticut thing? I've never heard that. It might be. I'll (laughs) urban dictionary it. We could put it in the show notes. (laughs) I love that. Yeah. um, I guess my, like my, protocol for, for listeners would be for revealing your, for revealing yourself to your partner. Step one is really getting in tune with yourself. So step one does happen by yourself. Step one is like Caitlin said, looking in the mirror and seeing how does it look when I feel my feelings? How do I look like, can I look myself in the eye when I feel my feelings? Can I do that? And then little by little, and and then also, you know, when you're angry or you feel something kind of heavier to not just like sit in the mirror and look at yourself, but to actually move your body, moving your body is very, very important. Um, And then when you have some practice with that to start to slowly express that with your partner, again, not the, the rage, like punching things in front of your partner, but literally just through your facial expression, through your shoulders, through your body language, um, maybe sigh and just be like, oh, I'm just oh, like, just literally sighing, like without words. Like I was at the gym, um, a few weeks back and I was, I work with a personal trainer and I was just really tired and frustrated that day. I don't know what, I don't know what had happened, but I was just really pissed off at the gym and I was just moving the weights around and I was just like, and I was making all these like dinosaur noises. And he goes, that is adorable. And (laughs) I was like, are you serious right now? Like the the thing is like, we think that we're going to be perceived as like these, I don't know, horrible, like monster beings, but expressing our emotions is just, it's just to the masculine, it's like, they can finally read you. They can finally go, Oh, interesting. Like, okay, now I know exactly how you feel. And when they know exactly how you feel, they know what to do. Yeah. Right. And, and also you're not making them responsible for it. You're just simply expressing. Cause like in that moment, I wasn't looking for my trainer to do anything about it for me. I was just like emoting because I felt good and safe emoting. And I also didn't want to hold that energy in. I wanted to release it. Um, so final note is when you're revealing yourself, when you've made the choice to start to do this work, you might expect your, again, I said this before, but I'm going to sound like a broken record. You might expect your partner to embrace you immediately 
and say like, oh, thank you for bringing your emotions. Like, thank you so much because now you're finally bringing your emotions out of the closet. They might be a little more like deer in the headlights. They might be a little stunned, a little thrown off and you have to give them some grace as you're expressing your emotions. And that's why it's really important for you to do this work, not for them, but for you first and foremost, do it for you because you want to be more expressed because you want to be more authentic and more in self-trust, do it for that reason. Um, and then also hold, have some faith that in time they will start to shift and start to understand you, but it's going to take them some time to build trust with you. So the more consistently you express your emotions, especially those ones that you normally withhold, the more you will be perceived as a trustworthy person. And then they'll be able to um, want, they'll want to confidently lead you as opposed to kind of treating you like this, a little bit of a wild card, you know, hot potato. Like I don't want to get too close to her. If you start to become more authentic and more uh, consistent in your expression, they won't treat you that way anymore. Yeah. And if you do, like if you're in, the midst of like expressing something like sadness and you notice your partner kind of like, Oh my God, I, uh, I don't know what to do. And you kind of see them doing that. Don't let that influence your expression. I know that's probably easier said than done, but just commit to that feeling, commit to following it through, commit to showing it because that's your commitment to you. And that's the, that's the highest thing you could do for yourself and your partner in that moment. Show him that like, no, your discomfort with this level of sadness isn't changing my sadness. I still have this and commit to your truth in that moment. Just follow through, follow it through. Right. And then whatever happens at the end of the day, if they're not able to hold you and comfort you for whatever reason, you can, you can do that for yourself. You have a masculine too. We all do. And so if you go into it and you express and your partner just just doesn't have it in him to, um, to be what you need in that moment, know that you can do that for yourself. You can literally create that masculine container by imagine like the force fields coming up. Imagine those, the, that masculine energy, just like, whoop, like it just like comes up around you and gives you a big hug. And then you can decide with your own consciousness, what do I need in this moment? And then you go give that to yourself. Yes. And your full expression, um, Evelyn, you said something quickly about this at the beginning, but it won't be for everyone. And it will possibly be a little bit triggering to men and women. Um, if you're in a relationship, there's more of a container already built there. So there's, it's, it's safer to do it there. But as you go through this work, you'll realize that, you know, it does, it does bring to light some shadows in other people too, with their own discomfort around such strong feelings and their beliefs around those feelings. Absolutely. And I'm sure we'll get into this in other episodes, but I have so many examples of times where I'm just expressing myself authentically and other people are, are triggered and they'll, they'll say like, Oh, like, geez, you're really upset. And, or they'll, I'm trying to think of, there's an example and I'm, struggling with finding out, remembering what it was, but something happened. And, um, somebody said like, like, oh, you don't, you must not like that. And then I said, like, you, it seems like you don't like me expressing that or something like that. This is a terrible example, but I'm basically, the point is, 
<laughs> Sorry, guys. You're like on this thought train that's just exploded and ran, ran off the ran off the rails. Um, the point is that you can gently and lovingly respond to people who don't like your expression in a in even in a playful way. You could say like, um, "Oh, like, does it make you uncomfortable when I'm so like?" uh, silly and goofy. Like, why does it make you uncomfortable? Like you could call people out if you want to, if you feel like you, if you feel like you have that kind of relationship with them, you don't have to just, it's not binary. It's not you express. And then people, people are turned off. So you take your toys and run. It's like you express people go, Oh, wow. I didn't realize there was a one woman show here today. And you go, yeah, there is. Ta-da. It's a one woman show. Like check me out. You guys like it. And they're still staring at you and you're like, but I'm still here. I'm I'm not going to leave. Like you choose to just stay and keep performing your act and performing your act. And eventually people will either boo you off stage and you'll just go (laughs) somewhere else where you're more appreciated, or they'll start to be like, wow, this is kind of an interesting show. Like I didn't sign up for this, but I'm getting a lot out of it. That's so true. Yes, it is the one woman show every day. Um, I had an experience today, actually. Um, I was asking a friend, I was like, let's go on a double date with him and his fiance. And I've been asking about this for like a month. I'm like, let's go on a double date. Like, it'll be so fun. And he was like, I don't think we're ever going to do that. And I was like, why? Like, what is this? And he said (laughs) that he thinks his fiance finds my personality exhausting. (laughs) And I was like, Oh, okay. That's so interesting. And like, (laughs) I knew exactly what he was talking about because she's definitely much more reserved and calm and quiet. And I'm very expressive and energetic and bubbly. Um, and I totally, because I've also been like that before where I have found the bubbly expression exhausting. And all I can do in that moment was like one, Oh, I'm I'm so sorry that she feels that way, like to where she's uncomfortable with her own bubbly and like fun light self. Um, but two, I was like, well, if you convince her to go, you let me know I'll be there. <laughs> Cause like, yeah. I'm not going to stop doing that, but like, I'll still be around you if you want. Right. Oh, I love that. That's so lighthearted and, and fun and just like positive on all sides. And I really think that that's what the feminine has to offer is um, not, not positivity on all sides. Definitely not the feminine is not all positive, but if you go into it with an attitude of, um, this is actually out of service, like expressing myself is a service, um, not to make everybody feel happy all the time, but just to honor truth, then you won't be so swayed by the people that are not applauding you for your truth, just because like, it's like activism in a way, like people aren't applauding you for challenging systems. They're not applauding you for, um, you know, campaigning against violations of human rights, but yet they, people still do that. Activists still do that. So I guess in a weird way, I just compared feminist (laughs) feminism or the feminine being in your feminine to activism. I don't know if that's a good analogy or not. It is, it is activism. It is challenging the systems. It's challenging the systems of feminine repression forever. 
Okay. Re- well, reclaiming expression. <laughs> I'm going to have to unpack that one. Cause as soon as I said it, I was like, am I going to get challenged on this? Am I, do I feel solid in this assertion? I'm not sure. So I'm welcoming people to challenge me on that. I'm not hundred percent solid in that analogy, but I think it fits. So on that note, hopefully this has been a helpful episode for folks to understand how how and why men don't trust the feminine and how you can be more trustworthy and why would you want to be more trustworthy? So Caitlin and I will be back next week with another episode on how to be deeper in your feminine, how to serve from your feminine. I think you guys are going to love that one. So until next time, bye guys. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the insatiable woman podcast for more free content and a chance to interact with Caitlin and I directly head over to our Facebook group, The Insatiable Women Podcast, at the link in the show notes. We can't wait to meet you.